0: Bible, Matthew chapter six. If you're new to this church in the last, uh, maybe today, maybe this is your first time here, we are in a series called teach us to pray. And this is uh, the question. This is the ask of the disciples to Jesus. The disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, Um, not teach us how to preach sermons or heal people, they realized that all of what Jesus was about, all of what Jesus was doing was coming from this connection he had with the father. And so let me read a very familiar prayer to you all as I back this up a touch. So that's going to go somewhere if I keep bouncing into it. Matthew 6 verse 9, this then is how you should pray. This is Jesus talking. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our, our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we are uh, working our way phrase by phrase, word by word, through this prayer that Jesus is teaching uh, his disciples. And just a recap... We talked in week one about our Father and what does that mean and this idea that we come to God as our Father, as our adopted Father, that He chose us, that He brought us into His family. He's given us a new name, a new identity, a new life and, and, and took care of all of our, our debts. In that phrase, in heaven, doesn't mean somewhere in the future where we go when we die, which is actually a Poor idea of what heaven actually is. Heaven is actually translated here, the heavens. And um, and there's so much to this, but that God is as close as the air we breathe, that God is right here, right in this space with us. Um, Hallowed be your name we talked about last week. We talked about hallowing a name, setting it apart, making it distinct. And part of the The impetus behind hallowing God's name is actually that we bear God's name. And if we bear God's name, that we have a way of either profaning it or hallowing it by who we are and how we act and how we live in the world. So we can't pray that prayer without putting ourselves in a position to make that happen. Does that make sense? This week, we're talking about your kingdom come, your will be done. The question is, what is that? Now, I'll just be honest with you. Growing up, going to church, um, I never understood this. In fact, I'll I'll be honest with you. Um, It was probably... uh, It's a shame, actually, that I was never taught what your kingdom come, your will be done, meant. Meaning, all throughout Scripture, and especially in the language of Jesus, Jesus' whole... Um, impetus, his whole, uh, his whole, everything he preached, everything he was about was about the kingdom. And no one ever really taught me what that was. See, I thought growing up, I thought, and, and I'm not bagging like uh, my church or my parents or anything like that, but there was this idea that as a Christian, you just didn't do certain things and um, you did other things and you didn't do certain things because if you did those things, then um, then God wouldn't help you with these other things, right? And it was about behavior. It was this kind of thing about you know keeping on the straight and narrow and let's start with Mark chapter fourteen, because Jesus unveils what his plan is when he comes. And he, and, he, and he starts to talk about what this idea is about the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, After John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now, that phrase, proclaiming the good news of God, is actually Mark drawing from uh, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 61, 1, he says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness for, uh, and, and release from darkness for the prisoners. And so this is a prophecy, okay, that is coming um, is about the uh, the anointed one or the Messiah who will usher in a new world order, a new world where Yahweh is sovereign and Yahweh is king and this is a uh, prophecy that that ultimately when and you see this actually in Luke chapter four that Jesus begins to quote this. Um, and a few other things, and all of this proclaiming good news to the poor, and to bind up the brokenhearted, and freedom for the captives, and 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 release from darkness for prisoners. All these things are to be coming to pass through Jesus. Jesus is the anointed one. He is the Messiah, and what he's done is he's come to proclaim that that is now happening, and that is now happening right now in the midst. Uh, of us as 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 he speaks so the message of jesus is encapsulated really in one sentence and and here's that one sentence what's the announcement the time has come the kingdom of god has come near repent and believe the good news so mark's summary of jesus announcement is in two parts there's an announcement part okay that we just talked about, and we 're going to talk about it a little bit more, and then there's a response to the announcement, so the announcement is "The time has come the, the announcement is "The kingdom of God has come near and in order for us to really understand this, we need to ask, we need to ask three questions. The first question is, what is the kingdom of God and this has been a, probably one of the most overlooked phrases and overlooked teachings in the American church, to be honest with you. Uh, the American church doesn't talk about the kingdom of God much. And, and I don't know why that is. I really don't. I mean, I have no, I have no answers. Um, but the point is, is that this idea of the kingdom of God can be translated God's rule, okay, or God's reign. The kingdom of God is God's rulership, and where God's rulership happens. So it's the active exercising of God's uh, power and authority in, in, in a place and in a time. To paraphrase, let me just read something that I stumbled across the other day. The world is under a brand new government. A new king is in power. Satan and his henchmen have been dethroned a new society is coming to birth unlike all of the other ones before it. It's time for healing. It's time for justice. It's time for a whole new way of life. That's the kingdom of God. The best definition of the kingdom of God actually comes from Jesus in what we know is the Lord's Prayer. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're gonna walk through that here a little bit. It's actually your kingdom come, your will be done is actually a poetic device. It's a parallelism, meaning it is a, it's, it's the first thing is just like the second thing. And what this means is, is Jesus is emphasizing your kingdom come, your will be done, is your will be done, your will be done, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. It is all part of the same thing. The kingdom of God is the space where God's will is done. And it could be in a, a situation. It could be through a, an individual, a man or a woman. It could be um, in a family. It could be in a moment. It could be um, at, at, at a time of need. It's, it's that place where God is on the throne and he is actively exercising his will. And on earth as it is in heaven, we're gonna get into a little bit briefly next week, um on earth is where god's will is not always done as it is in heaven is the space not far away invisible world all around us close as the air we breathe where god's will is done on earth god's will is not always done meaning out on earth there are other wills at work there's human will there's your will there's my will There's uh, different cultural systems, there's systems of economics, and there's different wills happening. There's spiritual will. Um, We're going to get into a lot of that stuff this fall, Um, just a teaser. But sometimes God's will is done, but not all the time. Other wills are at play. And they're in conflict with God's will of human flourishing on earth. Jesus says, all of that is about to change. God's rule has come near. Meaning there's a new thing happening and it's near. And I know this is review for many of you, but we we talk about the kingdom of God a lot around here because it's all, it's central to Jesus's message. The second question we need to ask is this, what does it mean by has come near? What does that mean? And the best way for me to um, to explain this is is another way to translate that as eminent. It's it's pro- approaching. It's arriving. It's within reach. Any road trip people here? You love road tripping, right on? You like those long road trips? Anybody not like road trips? Let me let me ask you. This is this will be fun. Are there? Are there's you're either one of two people. You're a journey person or you're a destination person. Okay. Journey people, you love the journey, right? Raise your hand if you love, not journey the band, although they're awesome, but you love the journey, you know, you're, yeah, you like that, right? Destination people, you just want to get there, right? Yeah, destination people, let's just be honest, journey people are probably happier, but they don't get anything done, right? Destination people are, get done, they, they get things done. So road trip, before your f- computer in your pocket, I know this is going to be crazy for some of you. Back in the day, when you took a road trip, before MapQuest, before, like, a computer told you exactly how many miles it was and what route to take, you spread a map out on a table, and you used this thing called a map scale, okay? And you converted it to inches, and then you measured, and then you're like, oh, it's about 800 miles. Um, and then you did the math with either your head... Or a calculator to kind of roughly understand where you were going on your road trip. Then you would start the journey and they're like, Maybe we'll take a rest stop here, maybe we'll do this here, maybe we'll see a big giant ball of twine here, whatever, right? And you head out on your road trip. And you remember as some of you were kids and you were in a car, me it was the back seat of a station wagon that faced backwards. Anybody have one of those? Those are sweet. Anyhow, so you're on your way and you're always asking, when are we going to get there? When will we get there? And what were the signs that you were getting close to where you were going? How could you tell? Well, you could tell because the the, the signs along the road were telling you this city, how far away, whatever. Then you started seeing farms. And then you started seeing uh, billboards. And then you started seeing more and more, more and more of the city. And then you were, you were on the edge of the city. And it was like you were there. You were almost there. It was like right up over the horizon or right around the bend. You could see the city. And you weren't there, but it was near, right? It was at hand. It was approaching. It was close. It was imminent. That's what I think is happening here in Jesus's announcements. And then here's the third question we need to ask. What would this have sounded like to first century Jews? The problem is, as many of us read this and we read it as, uh, you know, two millennia later with our iPhones and we're just kind of disconnected to the context. For a first century Jew, they were waiting expectantly for God's kingdom. Remember, we talked about this at the beginning of the year, but one of the most deeply cherished books of the Bible for first century Jews awaiting the Messiah was the book of Daniel. And we went through the book of Daniel at the beginning of the year. Um, In fact, if you fast forward here at the end of Mark, chapter 15, verse 43, check this out. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. Waiting for the kingdom of God. There was this idea that, that there was just this expectation and this excitement and this this deep yearning for the kingdom of God. And, and, and any good Torah observant Jew at the time of Jesus was thinking this way, was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now, Jews divided time into two different ages. And we've talked about this before. This is review for some of you, but that this present age and the age to come, okay? This present age is the age full of divorce and mental illness and cancer and country music. The age to come is the age of full, full flourishing, no more tears, no more disease, no more country music. It's just a wonderful place. Active, full, full human flourishing. Now, check this out. Two passages in Mark's mind Um, as he's reading this, as he's writing this, uh, come from uh, Isaiah chapter 40. This is really important stuff. We're going to land the plane shortly, okay? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. It says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then fast forward to chapter uh, to verse 9. It says, You who bring good news, you who bring the, the euangelion, the good news to Zion, to Zion go up on a mount, high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid say to the towns of Judah here is your God. This is before social media, before you know bullhorns and things like that. This is the announcement. Okay? This is the announcement of who God is. And written to Israel in exile, this is what Isaiah is doing. He's writing to the people who are in exile. Anybody remember where they were in exile? Babylon. Yes, from Few months ago. Uh we talked a lot about exile. They're 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 reading uh they're reading this, they're hearing this in exile. Uh, Verse ten it says, See the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. Remember that idea of sovereign lord, God is king, that's the language there. But that last line, he rules with a mighty arm. It's actually somewhat uh interestingly translated in the NIV. The actual text that Mark was using when he wrote this, when he was reading Isaiah, he was reading an Aramaic targum. Now, an Aramaic targum was actually a copy of the Old Testament translated into Aramaic. And in that targum, this is how that sounded. That sounded that last line, and he rules with a mighty arm, is actually the kingdom of God has drawn near. So Jesus is actually quoting Isaiah. He's actually saying, here is what is happening. I am God, come back to earth, to Israel, to lead you into a brand new reality, a brand new kingdom. So if you remember exile, Daniel chapter 2, and we're really close to the point here, trust me. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel is, is serving the king. He's serving King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he wants Daniel to interpret it. And the backstory is that Daniel's carried off into exile, and he's one of these uh, uh, strong men, uh, bright men, That is, he's basically kind of uh, pulled into the service of the king. Um, and and the, the king has this vision, this dream of a statue the head of gold and the silver arms and the, uh, and the bronze legs and the, iron, and the iron legs. No, the bronze, I don't remember. So there was bronze and then there was iron. And then there was the clay feet. Do you remember this? And then in the, in the, the dream, this rock comes and smashes it all. And then the rock becomes this huge, it fills the world. And we're just like, whoa, that's weird. But Daniel interprets it. And he interprets it to mean uh, this thing about different nations and different kings. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, it says this. In the time of those kings, this is part of Daniel's prophecy, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. Fast forward three to four hundred years. What do we have? In history, we have Daniel telling this prophecy, and then throughout history, we have Babylon, we have the Medo-Persian Empire, then we have Alexander the Great, and then we have the Romans. And each one of these empires oppressed God's people, the people who were actually supposed to bear witness to who God was. And And here we are in the time of Jesus, and people are just yearning for this. When will God do what he said? Why do you think Daniel was such a powerful book for the people of Israel, the Jewish people, during the time of Jesus? Because they're just yearning. When will God do what he said? All the rabbinic writings were arguing about this at the time. And then all of a sudden, a rabbi from the north side of Israel, from Galilee, uh, part of Israel, comes and says, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And, and when we, he says time, there's two ty- versions of time. Chronos time, which is, what time is it, you know? And then there's that version of time called Kairos time, which actually means, it's kind of like what one of the many pregnant women in our church will say this fall. Honey, it's time. The moment is here. The waiting is over. And what Jesus is saying, it's starting to break in, in and through me. And now this was a very explosive announcement to the people. And an announcement like this demands a response. This message demands a response, ultimately, is what Jesus is saying. If the kingdom of God has come near and the king is present, then life must change, right? Right? It's not one of those things where if the kingdom of God is here, it doesn't mean, well, I'm going to add that to my current version of my life. I'm just going to add that kingdom to my life. See, it basically says the the old lifestyle of indifference to God and his will must be abandoned. It must be taken out of the picture. It's abandoning your life and living a new life, the new life of a royal subject. You've changed allegiance. So when Jesus says repent and believe, that Greek word meta noeo is actually meta is to restore. It's two words to restore or change, and then noeo is to think. And so basically, think about the whole world, think about your world in a whole new way. That's what repent means. Because of that, you and I must rethink everything. So when Jesus comes and announces the kingdom of God is near, Repent and believe. What he's saying is, is you give up your agenda. You give up your agenda and you trust me for mine. We all have an agenda. We all have agendas. Like at the deep core level of who we are, we have these agendas. And and they change sometimes, but they're all coming from us. And, and so the question is, what do you hang on to? Like, what is your agenda? If your agenda is not fit with Jesus' kingdom dream, it's time to give it up. What Jesus is saying is it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Don't squander your time. Don't squander your money. Don't squander your talent, your personality, your pain. Don't squander your brokenness, your past. Don't waste your life. Life is short. Do you really want to waste it on emptiness, like the emptiness of the American dream? Do you really want to do that? See, you and I are human beings. We're made in the image of God and potential of being filled with God's spirit. And what Jesus is saying is get a better dream. Like get a better dream than a three-car garage. Like three-car garages are awesome. Like get a better dream than like maybe the pinnacle of your life's existence is finally getting on that cruise to Alaska. Like, and nothing wrong with a cruise to Alaska or a three-car garage. I'm not saying that. But I guarantee you that whatever your dream is, there's actually a better one. And that's what Jesus is, is, like, yearning and pulling us towards, the kingdom of God. Here's the other thing I really want to say. It's like a side note. The kingdom of God is not the church. It's really important for you to understand. There's a lot of churches out there that act like they're the kingdom of God, Okay. We're not, this is not the kingdom of God. This is a collection of people who are part of the kingdom of God. And our job is to be the kingdom out in our world. And repentance, we used to think that repentance was just about sin. It's way more than that. It's about giving up your agenda. It's about, because the present age is passing away. That's what Jesus is saying. Basically summed up. Jesus says, don't live for a world that is passing away. Live for a world that is coming to pass. Don't live for a world that, world that is passing away. Live for a world that is coming to pass. And then the second thing he says is believe. And believe, that word is not a great translation um, because for you and me, believe just somehow sets it like, a, like a mental like checkbox. Um, the word believe actually means to trust. Jesus is saying is turn and trust the good news. He's actually saying, lean your weight. Lean your the weight of your life. Lean your weight on that. Like more and more in your life. Lean more and more of your life on the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? All of us are trusting somebody or something for our worldview. Um, and, and it's just part of who we are as human beings, but trusting is actually acting on what you know to be true. So quick analogy, say you're flying from the West coast to the East coast, and you know in your head that the fastest, um, easiest way to get from the West coast to the East coast is not a road trip journey people but it's by airplane. You know it. You know it in your head. You know it in your heart. But you don't, and you believe it, I mean, but you don't trust it unless you go to the airport, put down your money for a ticket, and step on that plane and see what happens. There's a difference between believe and trust. What is God stirring up in your life that has to do with God's kingdom? What is that? What is it that, are you acting on that? Are you putting the weight of your life on that? As if this world is passing away and a new world is breaking in. Because the way you respond to the kingdom is about trusting. One of the ways for many, many centuries, two millennia actually, that the people of God have put their weight And leaned on and trusted is through baptism. And the act of baptism is something we're going to celebrate this next Sunday, is a way of saying to the community, I'm putting my weight, I'm putting my trust, I'm putting my life into the kingdom. And it's just going to be a phenomenal day. And we have a number of people who are going to be baptized next week and and many of them have been Christians who've followed Jesus for a long time and they just come to realize that it's time for me to actually be baptized. And um, so if you're interested in doing that, it's not too late. In fact, even next Sunday, we'll open up the waters for anybody. But if you want to kind of get yourself on the list, we would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. Dan's Zazorka would love to talk to you about what that looks like. But that's just one of the ways that people throughout the history of following Jesus have done that. So the last thing I would just say is this. This is really hard. Because we sit there and we turn the news on, and we have our social media feeds, and we see all the craziness in our world. And what's interesting is that we actually ask the question many times in our heads, how can this actually be true? Like the kingdom of God is near. I mean, this was announced 2,000 years ago. And look at all the craziness that has happened in 2,000 years, right? I believe there's some skeptics in the room. Some folks in the room that are like, this sounds like this would have been wrapped up by now, right? In Greek the command to repent and believe is this idea that it's not like repent, it's not a past tense thing. It's actually present imperfect perfect tense, which means it's an ongoing act of repenting and believing. Not that something happened in the past, but that you and I, as apprentices of Jesus, are repentance and believing and trusting people. we're always coming back, always repenting, always retrusting. And the thing about asking that question is how can that actually be true? I mean, how can that actually be true that the kingdom of God is here when there's injustice, when there's broken relationships, when it just seems like things are getting a little bit crazier all over the place? Well, in theology, we call the kingdom of God this idea of the now and the not yet. Meaning Jesus came and announced the kingdom of God is near. And then he also had these times when he said the kingdom of God is still coming. It's still not yet. It's here we get tastes of it, you know, like that drive, you know, that, that road trip, that idea of like, okay, we can see glimpses of the kingdom, but it's not quite here yet. And I think about this city. I think about Arvada. Think about the number of years that I've been here and how much I've seen it changed in a lot of different ways. Like I said before, I, I sometimes take rides with officers and I ask officers all the time as they're riding in the patrol car, how have you seen the city change? How have you seen this place change? And they'll say, yeah, there's more this, there's more that, there's more mental illness, there's more drug use, all that kind of stuff. At the same time, I'll ask them, how do you, how do you see it getting better? And they, see, they say it all the time. We see more people involved. We see more people caring for people. We see more neighbors caring for each other. We see more neighbors shoveling uh, driveways of senior citizens and taking people meals and showing up at the police department and, and just trying to con- contribute. The city is changing because there are a lot more mini anointed ones all over the city. And the answer is what theology calls the now and the not yet. We get a taste of the kingdom coming, but it's not quite there yet. So yes, we still have to battle through a diagnosis. And yes, we still have to come around each other um, at, at a rough news and be in the hospital with each other. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will we d- be done, what are, we, what are we saying? We're actually saying two things. It's a cry of loyalty to the incoming kingdom And it's a cry of treason to the outgoing one. At the same time, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come is a cry of treason against the the kingdom that's at work right now, right here. Here's a quote from N.T. Wright to wrap us up. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project not to snatch people away from earth, to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is all about. So when you pray, something changes in us. Our kingdom wants and desires change. Our loves and our longings begin to change because we're praying this prayer. We're praying your kingdom come, your will be done. Now this morning, a couple things I want to share. We have a packet in the back, actually at the info table, and it's actually available online. There's a bunch of practices in here. Uh, One practice I just opened up to is the practice of a daily prayer rhythm. There's a number of practices in here. We're adding to them as we go. But you're welcome to take one of these. If you want to practice, you can download it online as well. And also, we have some prayer cards here. And this is uh, kind of our prayer initiative crew. They, they have a ton of different cards. And these are just handy. You can, you can just tape it somewhere, put it in your Bible, put it somewhere where you're going to see it. Um, just a handy uh, way of just prompting you into, okay, a conversation and a life with Jesus. Maybe it is praying the Lord's Prayer. Maybe it is practicing these phrases as you go through the Lord's Prayer. But as we